Hi everyone, welcome to the next episode of the Bay Street Capital Holdings podcast titled How Do You Do It and Why Should I Care? This series aims to highlight women doing amazing work in various industries. So today we are so lucky to be joined by Ashley Blackman Henson, who is a diversity, equity and belonging program manager for a private indoor agricultural company in the SF Bay area. Hi Ashley, lovely to have you on the show. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. So I'm so happy that you can be on the show. Let's start off with a quick introduction as to who you are and perhaps an answer to the main question of the podcast, which is how do you do it and why should I care? <laughs> Great. Um, so uh, for everyone out there, my name is Ashley Blackman Henson. Um, I am in my mid 30s. Actually, I just turned 33 uh, last May. So super excited to um, enter that. But I am also a dog mom. I live in the San Francisco area. I am a fiance. I'll be getting married um, in November. And I am also a grad student, along with carrying a full-time job of being a diversity, equity, and belonging program manager for a um, private indoor ag company here in the Bay Area, um, which is doing amazing things to feed people. Awesome. So I guess my next question begs me to ask, what inspired you to join the field of diversity, equity and inclusion? You know, I would like to classify myself as an FOD. And what I mean by that is I've always been the first, only or different type of woman, either on my team or in the industry that I've worked in. And so you know, going throughout my career um, leading up into this point, um, I wanted to really make a change. Um, and with that change, I really wanted to uh, make sure that I was partnering with key strategic leaders in my organization to not only be a catalyst for change, but to also make sure that we're forming inclusive uh, spaces for those other FODs um, within the company. Um, I just find it super refreshing um, to, you know, to be the first of anything or to be only or to be different. But sometimes that can be a little bit exhausting um, when you are in those spaces. And it can also be lonely. So I specifically wanted to get into the space again to create, um, you know, these spaces of inclusivity and belonging. But with uh, creating spaces of belonging, that also means that you have to create spaces of systemic change. And you have to be a part of that change. So um, those are one of the many reasons as to why I got in this field. Awesome. So I guess my next question is, obviously, diversity, equity and belonging can't be learned in a book. You're really dealing with pe- people's, you know, real life experiences. So what were the best resources that helped you learn along the way? You know, I've had a, been, you know, fortunate to have a ton of mentors um, kind of coming in this peers who were interested in doing this work. Um, And so in terms of resources, um, for those people who are wishing to kind of start out um, as a, you know, diversity program manager or even get into this line of work, the first thing that I'm going to say that uh, one of my mentors told me is that you have to have a tough skin because you're going to have to have difficult conversations every single day. You are going to sometimes have internal struggles um, with yourself every single day because you are thinking about groups of people within an organization, but it could be that you're thinking about the organization as a whole. And sometimes that is mentally um, exhausting. I would also say that, you know, anyone looking to break into this field, 
you don't know everything um, all at once. And so you really have to have um, a sense of humility. And you also have to have an approach to where um, you're going to learn and you're going to be in situations where there's sometimes the people that you're interacting with, they are going to teach you things or you're going to have to actually get curious and seek out that information on your own. I would say most of my resources have come from me just going out and getting curious and actually having those one-on-one conversations with people that really interest me or uh, you know, a group of folks that like I want to learn more about. But it's also come from me building relationships, not only across my organization, but within my peer groups, networking with other um, DNI professionals um, in this space to kind of gather best practices. And um, also, most importantly, school. Um, mm-hmm. It is a very hefty penny um, <laughs> that I am paying to go to Villanova. So a lot of resources uh, coming from there as well. Awesome. So it seems like you're pretty much a go-getter, someone who does their own research about the field before they enter, which is a great trait to have. But I'm curious, were there any lessons that you wish you would have known before joining the industry, something that you didn't pick up on or maybe your mentors didn't mention to you once? Yes. Um, I would say the biggest lesson that I've learned in being in this field is that you are going to have to bring others along for the journey. And everyone is on their own journey, meaning that they are going at their own pace. Um, prime example, when I you know, kind of started out in this field, um, I worked for a company where we had multiple locations. We had um, a ton of different um, employees across the U.S. Mm-hmm. And again, with being across the U.S., you have different geographical locations. That means they have a different set of ideological views, a different set of values that they've grown up with. So I really had to work hard to not only bring them along for the journey and, you know, sell them the vision and explain to them like why diversity and equity and belonging mattered. But I also had to be mindful that I needed to actually see their point of view as well. And I mean, when we think about diversity, we always think about it in the forms of representation. But I think if we go a step further and we actually sometimes think about it in the fact of leveraging diverse viewpoints and leveraging those different backgrounds, that actually helps us get further along um, than we intended. And so the big learning lesson for me when I rolled out that new strategy at that company is that There's always going to be people who um, I would say they're a little bit of a conspiracy theorist, meaning that you're going to have to give them concrete details and you're going to have to walk them step by step. But you can't get frustrated. You can't throw your hands in the air. Again, it kind of goes back to that relationship building and understanding like, one, who are they as a person? But what matters to them, you know, in the context of diversity and belonging? Um, You know, what are some things that they want to change about the site that they're at or, you know, the team that they're on and actually meeting those people in the middle as well? Definitely. I think compromise is one of the biggest things you have to understand in this field, because once again, it is people's experiences that you're dealing with. Yeah. And um, thinking about the span of your career, actually, what would you say was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? My biggest failure has been um, not doing this sooner. And it's kind of a two-part fold. Um, Also not believing in myself that I could do it and there was space for me Mm -hmm. to actually do this type of work. Kind of going back to not doing it sooner. 
I had a very non-traditional career path. Um, so again, kind of going back to, I guess, a little bit about me. I'm the oldest of four kids. Um, I grew up in a single parent home. My mom raised me. And so I had to be an adult at the, you know, a very, very young age. Kind of fast forwarding to college. Again, graduate college in my family. And so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I started out in retail because I knew I wanted to lead people and I knew that I wanted to make money because I had to pay student loans. Um, and I wish kind of thinking um, back on it now that I would have actually kind of taken that step into the unknown mm. and actually started this out as a career as opposed to being afraid and thinking about the one ifs. Um, the second part of not believing that there's like enough space for me, I think we all at some point in our career, we've been hit with imposter syndrome. Yeah. And those thoughts start to kind of creep up in our mind and we're like, can I really do this? Is there an, enough space for me? Like, are people even going to like want to support me? And my advice to people kind of having those thoughts is um, just block out the noise. I know sometimes it's easier said than done, but you are capable of doing anything that you want to do in this lifetime. And it's okay if you fail the first time. I think the key thing there is really assessing kind of like where you went wrong and coming up with an action plan or a game plan to do better next time. But my advice would be never let anyone tell you that you are not capable and you can't do something because you totally can and you are worth it and you're meant to be in that space. Definitely. What some what that was really great piece of advice, I would definitely say. And um, following on from that, what would be one specific piece of advice that you would give somebody who is wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? I would say go after um, your dreams. And in the first step of going after your dreams, there needs to be sort of like a realization um, that you kind of come to. And I'm a big fan of goal setting. Mm -hmm. So mapping out, you know, where is it that you actually want to be in the next like year, three months, five years. And then once you have your plan, you want to start actually building your bench of entourages. So what I mean by that is you should have a core group of people to where they are going to advocate for you when you're not in the room. They're going to bring you up, you know, when there is a certain project that you need to be on. And of course, the last step to that would be putting yourself out there. So volunteering, um, you know, to speak on um, different things, volunteering to maybe like spearhead um, the diversion, the diversity and inclusion committee at your job, or even volunteering to get out um, and take on external um, inclusion, which means working with your uh, community um, to actually bring um, access or bring spaces of belonging to your community. But I would say you definitely need to have a plan. You got to start somewhere. And it is all about persistence. Um, your first speaking event, it may not go as planned, but you make notes, you get that feedback and you kind of go um, back at it and you attack it again. And of course, support is the biggest thing. So again, finding those uh, group of cohorted um, people that really support you and can uplift you when you've had to have a difficult conversation or again, those thoughts of imposter syndrome, they keep creeping in your mind and you need a little pep talk. Oh, awesome. Um, and then following on from that, what is one common myth about the diversity, equity and belonging field that you would like to debunk right here, right now? I would like to uh, kind of, I think there's this like floating myth that 
um, diversity practitioners, they have all the answers to every type of cultural problem. And we've been talking a lot, you know, throughout this series that diversity really is truly um, about people's experiences. You know, it sometimes puts um, practitioners or people who are in this space kind of in a hard spot because you don't want to speak for all people, but you want to kind of give a solution. And I think um, a lot of times when you're kind of faced with that there's this like magical myth that's floating in the ether that, oh, so-and-so, she's our diversity program manager, or they are their, our diversity program manager. They're going to have all the answers. We're just going to dump all the work in their lap. We're going to snap our fingers and it's going to be solved. And I think that people need to realize that if you're trying to improve your culture or there's something that you're trying to work through in terms of, um, you know, a difficult experience or just even kind of getting on the same page and understanding someone um, that is diverse or um, even creating spaces of belonging is that these things don't happen overnight. They take, you know, sometimes weeks, months, years to actually come to a, you know, result as to what we're And I would uh, preach to the audience that you want to make sure that you have a little bit of patience. Um, And with that patience, you are leading with empathy, but you're also leading with grace um, because your Mm -hmm. diversity program managers, your chief diversity officers, they are humans um, just like you. And sometimes they don't have all the answers. And so really, again, approaching um, those situations with empathy and extending that grace. Definitely. And more about you, because I'm sure you're very busy at the moment, but what have you read or listened to recently that's really inspired you? Yes. So I've been trying to get better um, about actually reading, but I discovered this amazing um, app called Audible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I also read a ton, a ton, a ton uh, for grad school. So um, I'm more so, um, you know, into, uh, you know, audio books now, but I would say the best book that I have read um, this year was Shonda Rhimes' Year of Yes. Mm. And that book was so powerful for me to actually go through kind of line by line, cover to cover and really finish it because at the end of finishing it, I kind of had this epiphany um, where if any of the listeners out there have read the book, you um, know that at the end of the book, she talks about kind of uh, letting go of all of the negative things in your life and really making your year, your days, your weeks, year of, a year of yes, essentially. So what that means is like you say yes to all the things that bring you joy mm-hmm. and you say no to all the things that stress you out, that give you anxiety, that even cause like a little bit of turmoil in your life. And that has been something that I have kind of stuck by and honestly it's helping me kind of get through this year because when I have a bad day or when I'm having a difficult like time kind of pushing a project through or getting on the same page um, with someone in my line of work, I always go back to I'm saying yes to things that bring me joy and I'm saying no to things that are negative, to things that are not positive, and to things that do not align with my personal or professional strategy. Yeah, what a very important life lesson. And I think that this can be applied to anywhere and any stage of life. So thank you for that. And um, finally, sort of, who are three people in your life who've been the most influential to you? 
I would say the top three people that have been the most influential to me at this point in my life, because I feel like as I've kind of gone through, you know, like my teens, my 20s, and now that I'm in my 30s, that list kind of changes. Mm-hmm. I would say the first person um, that is so influential to me and probably will hold the number one spot um, in all of eternity would be my great grandma, Ruby Briggs. Mm-hmm. And she was so amazing. Um, She was the oldest of 19 kids. Wow. Grew up, um, you know, very like Southern lady, uh, grew up, you know, with no formal education. She actually foregoed or forewent her um, education so that her younger brothers and sisters could actually attend school and learn how to read and write. But when I think about the way in which she actually used her personality and kind of like used her kindness and her empathy and just like her raw leadership skills to actually build relationships in different places that she was in. That is kind of what I aspire to be as I get older and kind of at this point, you know, even leading up to this point in my career, that's always something that I've tried to do is just build positive relationships that are not only impactful, but they're worthwhile and they're meaningful um, for people. And when I kind of look back to kind of being, um, you know, when I was younger, I would always wonder, like, why does she know everyone? Every time we go somewhere, like she always has these conversations with like these random people. And now that I'm old enough to like actually understand that was the power of networking. That was the power of leading with grace and empathy. And it's something that, again, like I tried to instill in each one of my um, positions and just in this work um, that I'm doing now, um, which I think is so incredibly important. Um, The second person that I would say that... um, has been so influential um, to my life um, would be a manager that I had um, in a past life at a previous company. Um, And this was back when I uh, was working at a a Verizon. People probably know it. You probably have. (laughs) But I had a manager, her name's Denise. And at the time, she was a little bit tough on me. She would pull me in for conversations. Um, if I didn't hit my sales goal, she would like, again, pull me in her office. And I thought that she was just like picking on me. Um, but again, kind of going through those leadership ranks and kind of looking back on it and assessing where I am now, I am so grateful that I had a manager um, that was one, so compliance driven. Denise, I you. Um, But also just so goal oriented and really wanted the best for like each one of her employees. Mm -hmm. And seeing that care through like a leadership lens allowed me to actually, one, take a piece of that and make it my own leadership style. Um, But it also allowed me to be on top of things. It also allowed me to be detail oriented and again, really kind of assess it from like a bird's eye view. Um, which I'm so appreciative of. And I can approach a difficult conversation like the back of my hand now because of the difficult conversations that I had to have with her. So I am forever um, grateful uh, for the time that I actually spent um, with her at my time there. And then I would say the last person that I, um, you know, find so influential and that has just 
really, really pushed me um, to these heights would actually be my debate uh, coach that I had all throughout high school, Mrs. Gilmore. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I think about Mrs. Gilmore, I really just, again, think about a leader, you know, in the education realm, just really leading with grace and empathy, but also leading with an authoritative figure where you knew that you needed to be on time, you needed to be on point, and it just needed to be damn near perfect. Um, and, you know, going through, you know, those years of competition with her, again, it ex- it instilled a value of me that you always go after the number one spot. You be competitive, but again, you lead with empathy and you lead dignity and respect. And that's something that I like really learned from her um, from an early age to actually lead with that. And if you lose, it's okay. Again, you go back, you know, kind of to the drawing board and you figure out what are some of the things that I did wrong and how can I actually improve and how are we going to be number one next time? Mm. But approaching it with that humility to actually, you know, like understand that not everything is going to be perfect um, all the time and having a backup plan with that really, really helped me. Um, And it has helped me to this day with my career. And I still keep in contact with her um, to this day. So it's just been amazing to um, not only like grow that relationship, but also it's been um, amazing for her to kind of see me grow up because she is a, what we like to call in Texas, like um, she's a, a member of the family. So she's like taught, you know, several members before me. <laughs> so she has been a- around in our family for a long time and seen a lot, a lot of things. So that's well that is so lovely that you're surrounded by such great people and unfortunately that has to wrap up our conversation for today so thank you so much Ashley for taking the time to speak with me it was truly wonderful to have this conversation yes thank you so much all right then bye-bye